0: Welcome to Common Work, learnings for the future from Common Field. This is the organization's final project as it closes in December 2022. In this four-part podcast and writing series, we'll explore what we've learned together through the life, work, and closing of Common Field, And network-centered arts nonprofit organization. You'll also hear about artist-centered work pushing our field forward today and our dreams for the future of creative sustainability from network members across the country. Each podcast episode is paired with commissioned writings from Ikram Lathar, writer and former Common Field staff member, Racing Magpie co-founder Mary Bordeaux with artist Clementine Bordeaux, Alison Friedman-Weisberg, and Sean Leonardo, co-directors of Recess, and Common Field board members, Sarah Williams and Jackie Clay. You can access these writings, additional episodes in the series, and project materials for Common Work, Learnings for the Future on commonfield.org through April 2023. Beyond that, you can access the project in full on our platform partner websites, including Jack Straw Cultural Center and Lohar Projects. Thank you for listening. You are listening to Episode 2, Common Field in Practice. This episode invites Common Field staff members from across the years to be in conversation with one another around shared experiences and learnings from their time at the organization. This episode includes three dialogues, a conversation on the work of operating Common Field, with Chris Tyler, Associate Director of Communications and Operations, and Crystal Baldos, Administrative Manager at Common Field. Second, a conversation on organizing convenings with Mars Avila, producer for Programs and Special Projects, and Kevin Ritter, former 2021 convening technology producer. And finally, a conversation on membership and network engagement with Amanda Chu Kwan, former communications and membership manager, and Hannah Grossman, former convening manager. And now, Chris and Crystal.
1: Hey, Chris.
2: Hey, Crystal. What's (laughs) up? This is so wild because this is the first time that I am ever seeing you in real life.
1: Yeah, without the mediated screen.
2: For those of <laughs> you who are maybe not familiar with the intimate internal operations of Common Field, <laughs> uh, we are a completely remote and itinerant organization. We have worked since twenty twenty really, and yeah, it's it's just really neat to like to be here with yeah. you.
1: Yeah, and I I started in May of twenty twenty one. I've only met Sheetal. Right, because so.
2: you guys were both based in New York at exactly. that point. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: yeah it was, it's interesting just because to know that you were once in an office.
2: <laughs> Common Field was originally a Los Angeles-based organization. When I started as a temp in February 2020, I think I was working in the office for maybe a week and a half, two weeks before COVID hit, and then it was like— Now we're going to work on Zoom and we're going to figure out what that means. And then Mm -hmm. Sheetal came on and was based in New York. And Maud was already working from, at that point, Philadelphia.
1: Right.
2: And so we were like, okay, how are we going to do this? And I think that was the first time I had ever worked from home.
1: I remember when... I think it was during my interview actually for Common Field. And you asked about working remotely, because I think one of the things that you missed was being in an office with other people.
2: I did say that yeah, to you. I, I totally did remember, remember that. that. Too. Yeah.
1: <laughs> and I was trying to figure out like how am I gonna do this? <laughs> like how are, as like the admin administrative manager, like how am I gonna help create that kind of vibe.
2: It was tough for me to make that total adjustment, but I feel like that's been one of the nicest surprises about the way that we work together and also Mm -hmm. these moments that we've had that we've been able to connect in person where suddenly you get an instant, very full picture of this other person that you have a professional relationship with and you can kind of Mm -hmm. fill in all the pieces and like that person – becomes three-dimensional in a new way. We have this shared vocabulary that hasn't come up, you know, in the sort of limited scope of our Zoom meetings
1: around yeah, a budget, yeah, for right. instance. <laughs> in remote, I remember we tried to have, like, tried to have, like, work sessions where we would have each other on Zoom <laughs> on, like, the screen while we're doing work and just try to have, like, some kind of co-working bond.
2: And I think working in an itinerant way, largely through Zoom, just kind of changes your relationship to your coworkers. Mm-hmm. And I think you have to hold more space for the other aspects of, of everyone.
1: Yeah. I've worked as a operations manager for other nonprofits, and and I feel like operations is so much intertwined with programming. Without operations, you have no program.
2: No, because how do you pay anybody and how do you facilitate any of the logistics?
1: Exactly, yeah.
2: Which I think also speaks to like a larger, more seismic shift in the way that the organization has approached distribution of work and responsibility since Mm -hmm. I started. Mm -hmm. Because when I came on, it was incredibly compartmentalized. People are kept in their roles – You know, not necessarily by other people, but just kind of by organizational structures. I think that the thoughtful adjustments to the way that budgeting happens within the organization demonstrates a shift away from that kind of silo operational model because we're all participating in a more active way.
1: Chris, do you have an example of that? Yeah, I mean, I think
2: just looking at how we structure finances around convenings and gatherings, like that core program of the organization, when I came on, it wasn't clear to me how money was being allocated, where it was being allocated. And I feel like as we've shifted, you see how the money is being allocated across different departments and within programs it's easier to get a sense of, oh, okay, this piece of the puzzle is getting quite a bit of money, so maybe we don't need to allocate more to it there. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the big steps is transparency. And when I came on, that's when she and I were able to look more closely at the budget and work together, which then we would be able to talk about the budget with everybody else so that everybody knew more about what you were getting in your department. And I feel like there are a lot of nonprofits that have worked around this model of scarcity and prioritizing certain things that might need to be re-evaluated. When I got hired at Common Field, I was surprised of how much I was I would be making. and. The benefits I would be receiving. Oh, I get a technology stipend. <laughs> I get prorated health care, which seemed to be like very basic benefits and needs that you should be getting from your job.
2: I do feel like there is a, there has been an investment in staff and I think that that investment in staff has only ever increased. Something I was thinking about earlier was when I was asked to come on full time in the fall of 2020, the rate that I was offered, the salary that I was offered was lower than the salary range for the position. And so I emailed back and I was like, hey, my understanding is that the range is actually here. And and the response I got was, yes, of course, here. It wasn't yeah. complicated. That experience let me feel a level of trust
1: mm-hmm.
2: in the organization that I don't know that I've ever felt in an organization.
1: Yeah, similarly.
2: And it changes how you work.
1: Yeah. When I find that the organization values me, then I actually want to do good work. Then I actually really want to invest in the organization. Mm -hmm. For these nonprofits I've worked for, I actually believe in the mission. But the way that I have felt valued because I haven't received proper pay or benefits makes me question if they are aligned with their mission.
2: That's a really good point. Something I've noticed is that all nonprofits have missions, Mm -hmm. but not all nonprofits have clearly articulated values. When you articulate your values and you share them out publicly, there's a different, I think, operational responsibility Mm -hmm. that necessitates that you uphold them in practice. That has been kind of the core saga and the source of both much hardship and also much growth and possibility within this organization, we have been wrestling with those values if those values are being enacted in practice. And we've asked ourselves at every level of this organization those questions very critically and intensively. Mm-hmm. And,
1: and together, like and, we work on these things together. How is it to hear about? organization closing oh my god
2: (laughs) that was a weird that was definitely a weird day it was it was just it was such an intense experience because Mm -hmm. of everything that I had moved through with this organization after that shock hit and I had a I had a day I just took a personal day and I was like I need to process because what is going on yeah I was like hi you guys (laughs) I'm going to call out. I remember Which that, also, yeah. we have personal days now. Yes, That's amazing. And, They're really useful. Everyone listening to this who, you know, leads an organization, give your staff personal days.
1: Yeah. I was Paid like, personal days, paid. by the way.
2: It just felt so clear that it was the right choice and that actually it was kind of the only way to honor the lessons of that audit and to uphold the values in our work and yeah. practice and I'm bummed on many levels that, like, we can't continue this work that we're doing together. And also it's like, no, this is this is the right decision. Given all of the extenuating circumstances, it feels like we we actually learned the lesson.
1: I feel like it was really hard when Chief and I were talking through the um, public threshold that we would have to make just feeling really impossible. (laughs) And then having to restructure the organization, restructure the staff dynamic by having to let go of people just didn't seem right at all. I feel like that's the typical thing that, or the thing that makes sense, but like what happens when you go against the grain? Maybe we can reevaluate, we can rethink, is this actually beneficial for folks? And I feel like that's where the intentionality of the sunsetting comes from is to really stop and reflect and think about, does this organizational structure work? I think there
2: is more of a focus now on more local and regional projects and practices, relationships, networks. And I think this question of nation Mm -hmm. is one that requires more interrogation rather than Simply, a kind of declaration that, like, we are the network of the USA. Right. Because what even is the USA? But, you know, settler colonial nightmare. <laughs> uh, hey! <laughs>
1: I feel like I've been really proud of this sunsetting process as a way to think about how certain structures that are in place can be reimagined, that work that's more equitable. Because I think that just a lot of people who've worked in a profit industry um, right now are just so frustrated. And if there's so much frustration, that means that maybe something's not working. So hopefully this project can serve as a way of maybe rethinking things.
2: I feel like there has to be a more strategic and creative way that we can think about organizing ourselves as arts and culture workers and accessing those resources that we need. Yeah, 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 I totally agree.
0: And now, Mars and Kevin.
3: Hi, Kevin. (laughs) Hi, Mars. I'm really excited to be talking about um, convenings with you today.
4: Yeah, I know. I'm I'm super pumped. Kevin and I, for the listeners, worked together at Common Field on the 2021 uh, convening, sustaining futures. Um, I think it was like a really sort of like transformative
3: project for me to work on, and really changed how I think about a lot of things surrounding arts programming. Should we just like dive in, I guess? Yeah, sure. I, I'm curious to hear a little bit about how you came to
4: um this sort of like convening work. I have a background in arts nonprofits, but like in my personal practice, I make music and I produce music events. I have put together events, you know, two or three weeks out, just sort of like, hey, like I know the space, I know these people, like we'll bring it in, we'll figure it out. But At this scale, you know, there's a lot of relationship building. A lot needs to be planned way farther in advance. You also come from like a a conference background.
3: Yeah. So I had a career kind of in arts nonprofits as well. And and I was always working in kind of like front of house management. But of course, in 2020, things really changed. And so I somehow like pivoted to doing these sorts of online programs. I think I thought of this in a sort of like techno utopian lens, like this sort of online space is the way of the future. It's like so much more accessible for people. But I think working on this program at Common Field with its commitment to accessibility made me really sort of question and reframe that like intense optimism I had I haven't, like, totally rejected that idea, but things are,
4: like, much more complicated than that, right? The series of events that led up to the 2021 convening, Sustaining Futures, that was, like, made specifically and intentionally for an online space, I think we were trying to build out this program that was, like, centered accessibility at its core. One of our partners from the 2021 convening was based in a rural area with low access to broadband. I think you did a lot of the work there to like work with them to develop a solution that involved having them be able to gather in space. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that was? We worked with Racing Magpie to develop a sort of
3: in-person gathering at their space where people could come and like virtually come together and watch the sessions as a group. And we also, like, had to think about what gathering in physical space meant in
4: 2021. What we took from that into 2022's hybrid program, it seems like the thing that I keep coming back to is, like, it's, like, accessibility, obviously, is, like, a very broad word that could mean a lot for a lot of different people. The best approach is always, like, a multi-pronged approach. What... We tried with 2022's program, our our program was uh, intentionally hybrid. There's just been this buzz, like, what are the possibilities of hybrid? Like, what does and could hybrid gathering be? And so I think we went into that thinking, like, we're going to serve all people that, like, we need to serve. We tried to have robust programming online and in person. We were kind of running two events concurrently on the same weekend which is a lot you know
3: I'm curious about hearing more about kind of the discord and the connectivity the ability to like meet people and have conversations I I would say is like one thing that's really sort of lost
4: frequently yeah our hopes for discord I think were that it would be a place for like network building right like this conference was meant to highlight work actively being done in Seattle by Seattle arts organizers and use that as like a model to talk about the shifting landscape in the like second year of the pandemic for arts organizers across the country. It was more challenging. The primary goal for using the Discord was to have a resource for like community building that could exist beyond the event. I see folks joining still from time to time. So I hope this is going to be a tool that has continued usage for the Seattle folks. We should neither write these tools off nor overly embrace them. Right. Yeah, completely. The 2021 sustaining futures was really intentionally like national, like with no regional focus. Like the whole program was meant to reflect a national voice during the, the pandemic. And 2022 had re- returned to that regional focus with a national audience, like Seattle regional with a national audience watching. And it makes me think like, it seems like there the solutions for like this network building have to be different locally versus like, you know, nationally. Yeah. I'm curious to hear a little bit about like what
3: gathering locally was like and what that sort of um, meant to you as someone
4: kind of, not from seattle this is the first time that i have produced an event in a community that i am like not a part of and it was well i mean very humbling of course but i think it was an interesting moment i i think what we realized is that this larger piece of this gathering but is um this relationship building aspect a lot of the, the ways that events like this come together and are impactful and valuable just like the fact that they're coming from uh, orgs and organizers that they trust, like a long part of our development process for this program was like developing trust with the organizers. Our lead organizers and our organizing, our partner team in Seattle, we invited on a board of advisors um, in the summertime, folks from the communities that we were trying to serve just to like ask, hey, like what? is valuable about this to you? Like, what do you want to see? Like, I'm really, really glad that we had all of that, you know, um, all of this relationship building because it would not have been the same event without it. But it takes a long time. It's not something that you can expedite in any way. You know, (laughs) trust is trust. You have to build it. How did you feel that was, for the 2021 convening, did you feel like the... Relationship building was hampered by it being all digital. I do think it was like
3: maybe a little different in that there was almost a sort of individual approach with sort of each partner, their own sorts of things and initiatives and programming their own sessions. Those were relationships you had to be intentional about growing in a way tailored to each person and organization's needs. I'm also curious about this sort of like distinction between the local and the the national, because it's not quite such an easy binary. I've been thinking a little bit about like who benefits from that sort of arrangement. How do local communities benefit from that sort of event? And also like what benefit is it to the visitors who are coming into that community to learn from them?
4: Yeah, totally. I you know, I think this was like hit on in the audit. One of the pieces of feedback that we would get was that once it's over, like what is the benefit to the organizers who put a lot into producing this event? Where is the lasting, enduring, you know, continued support? It's one of the reasons why we tried to create the Discord this year as a as a place for folks to stay connected and continue like resource sharing and do you have thoughts on that? What do you think about value? I do think there like
3: is probably some value for like you and your community in like doing the work of organizing. Like it it can be like clarifying and helpful to tell the story of like the breadth and depth of work you're doing. But I do have like serious questions about how how that how that like helps in the in the long term. There's definitely value in learning from communities, but you have to, like, be intentional. There's not an easy way to, like, lift a model from Seattle and then, like, pop it down as is here in Brooklyn, where I live.
4: Right. It, it almost feels like you have to, like, there's, like, a lot of intentional learning that you have to do as a visitor about the context. Yeah. What else does the future hold for... Artist Casual. <laughs> no, it's just small question. Um, I'd love to see more experimental models for like connectivity and um support. Like, I feel like there's a real chance to change up some of the support structures for for arts organizers and arts organizing. And like, I'd like to see it, you know, diversify. What about you? I think like lessons.
3: I've learned that I would like continue in my work is like not thinking of accessibility as sort of a like one siloed thing. Like there's lots of different forms of accessibility that we've only but touched on here. Like these are all sorts of interlocking things. Thinking about it holistically, I think is important for the field as it like continues to gather and move forward
4: Totally. Totally. Kevin, it has been a pleasure.
3: It was a pleasure to speak with you too, and thanks for talking to me.
4: Yeah, thank you.
0: And now, Amanda and Hannah.
5: So, Hannah, hey. <laughs> I don't know. Are we even Begin to pass through our experience at Common Fields, which has been like a lifetime ago. I'm Amanda Chukwan, and I used to work at Common Fields. Um, now I do not work in Arts Nonprofits at all. I am a student at USC in a PhD program in creative writing.
6: My name is Hannah Grossman. Amanda and I worked at Common Fields at the same time. Uh, we were producing the Los Angeles Conference and uh, all collateral sort of programmatic content uh, having to do with that conference. I uh, currently work, I direct a commercial gallery in Los Angeles. It's nice to be in touch again, obviously. And I, I know that, you know, we're sort of jumping in to, to talk about specific things, but uh, it's, it's nice to have an opportunity to sort of reconnect around some of the experiences that we had.
5: So Hannah worked in programming um, and I worked in communications and membership Management, which probably isn't my title, let's just roll with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what did you learn?
6: When I actually started working at Common Field, I was actually also at USC in a graduate program. was Was just finishing oh, yeah. uh, a master's program, a, a curatorial program. Uh, moved to Los Angeles, you know, to go to art school. And I started really on the tail end of being in this program where I had been doing a lot of writing and thinking about how I wanted to be involved specifically in sort of community oriented organizing. And so when I heard about Common Field, I think that I I sort of came to the work wondering about this notion that there could be, in fact, this larger itinerant network uh, of connectivity of different kinds of experimental and artist-run organizations. I love the idea of information sharing. I'd always been interested. And um, yeah, Amanda, you were at CalArts at the time.
5: Yeah, I just graduated and to be real frank because I am not American, I was just looking for a way to stay in the country. I was looking really? for a job. So I was already kind of doing that within the literary world, I was like hosting my own events and that kind of thing. You know, I knew nobody when I came to LA, so I was really 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 invested in like just meeting people, networking, and building community in a way that felt really authentic. And so Common Field seemed like bumbling into this new space that I knew nothing about except for what I had learned at CalArts, which, you know, wasn't like a neutral form of learning. It was a real white space. The art scene in LA felt really prohibitive, really clicky. So yeah, so there was interest and there was fear. I kind of want to know what kinds of feelings did you have about about
6: (laughs) taking up the position. Did they change over time? My experience is one that was very interesting because of the the nature of the, the national scale and scope of this conference. I think we learned a lot about and met a lot of people who were doing different kinds of work in different parts of the country. Mm-hmm. For that reason, the organization has a, a lot of real in, inherent value just as a point of exposure and access to information for people to sort of be aware of what other people are doing. And mm-hmm. that was a quality of this organization that a lot of people really Uh, admired and found quite necessary. And so I think I was really drawn to aspects of that work. I don't know in practice, like working for the organization, I think that's always the hard thing, right? I think it's when you're doing the labor of it, I think it also removes you from being able to be an active participant in other parts of it, perhaps some of the more interesting and joyful parts of it. But um, what about you, Amanda? How How would you answer that question?
5: It made me think of a bunch of things. The first being like how pleasurable it has been to watch the trajectory of your career just Mm -hmm. like kind of after an experience that was maddening and sort of joyful I will say joyful in terms of we're able to like bond through some real intense stuff Um, and I will say like in relation to what you said about not being able to actually experience the convening because we were so busy working for it I think we were chosen because we were already part of that community so like serving that community but not being asked to contribute was a little bit weird i think i resolved some of the problems that were brought up during working at common fields all of these questions i was asking myself about do i belong here um what purpose do i serve and i resolved some of those things i think maybe it took common fields to like really bring those questions to the fore And it took leaving America to really answer that. (laughs) But, um, you know, I worked with refugees. I worked at the UN. These were not things that I thought that I would be capable of doing. But I do think it was like a milestone in my development. So that's something I can credit it
6: for, like for good or for bad, you know? Yeah, I mean, for me as well, I think it felt like a real point of rupture, I think around some of the ideological frameworks that I had been relying on to understand my place within this work. And so I just think that the organization changed shape very dramatically when it moved to Los Angeles, largely because it then became centered somewhere. And, you know, the organization structurally changed towards being something that was perhaps more of a nonprofit in a traditional sense, um, in a way that was more legible, even if just sort of public-facingly. And what is being left as the legacy of this work, and and sort of how people are thinking about the history of this organization, and and you know what it is sort of making space for in its wake in other ways, and I think that you know something that when when we talk about wishing that we could have sat in sessions, I did perhaps whether or not it was allowed, you know, which was all about sort of intentionally sunsetting organizations, and I found it incredibly inspiring, and I remember talking to a bunch of different people, feeling some sense of relief and purpose from even the possibility of being able to talk about what happens when something chooses no longer to exist. Um, You know, having come from, I admittedly, I think like the archival quality of like the importance of the work that had happened previously is invaluable in a lot of ways. I mean, these histories, especially archiving these histories and, and recording these histories and making them accessible. It's like, I just think about people that I know who started their own nonprofits and had no idea what they were doing. Um, but just being in community with other people who could sort of give you some sense of, you know, any kind of knowledge of, of relationship, I think, was really a, re- a really important part no, of your organization. Seriously.
5: And I met with some of them. Some of them right. have become mentors because of my prep for this. You we were talking about like one of those people has sort of become like my sort of stand in grandma in a way. And I hope she's not offended by that, but she's like an elder in the arts organizing community. Who is like one of the like rare Caribbean immigrants that I've seen occupy some of those roles, and uh, you know, which also is you know my descriptor, my identity, and because we recognized each other as you know from the same country, the same nationality, we've connected and and been pretty strong ever since. And I, I credit her with some of the like really amazing opportunities I've had since then. Another interesting thing you were saying was about this idea of like being itinerant, but also about being grounded
6: in a particular like geographical location. Yeah. When you mentioned something about wanting the organization to just be able to sort of exist as conference, I think it's so funny because I think that for me, I think of its most valuable quality as being a library of information. <laughs> and so I love the idea of a, of a, of a convening. Um, I think in theory, having attended many conferences of all kinds, I have a threshold for how much I feel like I'm actually able to absorb. Uh, And so I feel generally that something that I really appreciate about so many of the organizations that chose to participate in this work and in these convenings were willing to also, and I remember Amanda, because you were working on these, and I know that these tools sort of preceded the Los Angeles convening and, Mm -hmm. and I believe continued to be produced, but there were lots of different kinds of Um, information shares that were happening, different kinds of publications, different kinds of online resource guides. And even the website functionally in a a major redesign, you know, was intended to sort of shift over to being this other kind of network, uh, this other kind of of resource where people could really learn about what other people were working on, have have boards, you know, that were engaging, that were both classified, but also skill related, that people could upload materials that you know, that it could really become a database in many ways. But I think I just want to make sure that, yeah, that I, that I thank you, Amanda personally, and also a lot of the the people that I worked with um, I think without even realizing they were going to be some of the most influential people that I worked with throughout the the process of working with common field. I think that was both incredibly uh, powerful and, And I think it really sort of changed a lot of things for me um, and helped me understand things about my own positionality in this work uh, in a way that felt much more action oriented. I feel excited to see what happens now where perhaps a whole might be formed in the absence of this kind of an organization. And I know there are many different kinds of organizations doing not totally dissimilar work. And uh, there are so many exciting voices um, and perspectives that I really look forward to seeing sort of what sort of bubbles up, I think, um, where people find new ways to be in community and, and continue to develop ways they're already you know in community in ways that are perhaps accessible to larger swaths of people and, and geographic uh, yeah. lines and, and regions. and Yeah,
5: even serving the purpose of archives, is sort of like not, you know, it's not a whole. It's like, it's a transformation. When everything is archived, everything becomes really important. It's like, even if it didn't work out, if it was yeah. hard or if it was grueling or annoying, or it's like, it all kind of serves a purpose. And yeah, I, you know, it really was a pleasure working with you as well. Um, and I do, you know, I do feel prompted to like reminisce on things in a different way. now that I've grown, um, but my final thought is, that it is possible to go through something really difficult and then be happy. Any final thoughts, Anna?
6: I think I, I'm excited to see what everyone, what everyone is doing, I think, in, in response to wanting to, to share the work that they're making with communities. And I think that the work that the organization is doing in sunsetting is incredibly important. And I think it's been done with a lot of care. I just wanted to say thank you for that as well.
4: Thank you for listening to this episode of Common Work, learnings for the future from Common Field. This project was produced with Chris Tyler and Raquel Dutois. Graphic design by Alexa Smithrick and copy editing by Nicolay Duque. Jack Straw Cultural Center recorded, edited, and produced this podcast series. Common Work. Learnings for the Future from Common Field was developed and curated by Shisil Vrijapathy in collaboration with the Common Field team.
2: Theme music by Josh Nucci. Common Field would like to thank the Andy Warhol Foundation for the Visual Arts, whose significant and ongoing support of the organization has made this work possible since 2013.